Welcome to Become Good Soil. I'm your host, Morgan Snyder, a podcast for men choosing a decade of excavation. George MacDonald says, Since we are the sons of God, we must become the sons of God. At any given time, in any given situations, one of the central questions that should be on the forefront of our masculine soul, how am I becoming more and more a son? For this episode of the Become Good Soil podcast, I'm really excited to bring you a unique teaching that actually is my wife from Sherry's session that she offered for the very first time at a recent captivating retreat entitled Receiving the Heart of the Father. Father, our ask is that in this room tonight for each one of us, God, that heaven would meet earth like a sloppy wet kiss, that each one of our hearts, God, would turn violently inside of our chest. Father, because of new revelation, God, because of the more revelation of your love for us, God, of who you are and who we are to you, God. Father, we ask for a spirit of revelation to pour out over us, God, right now. We declare and proclaim that this is a safe place for our hearts to peek out and, in fact, to come all the way out, God, and see and be seen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are dependent upon you for intimate heart knowledge that changes our very being and transforms us. We're dependent on you, God, and we are expectant in Jesus' name. I am so excited about tonight. <laughs> and this is also the first time that I've ever offered this conversation, this talk. And so I'm really excited, and we'll see how it goes. So bear with me. If I'm, like, shuffling, doing tremendous amounts of shuffling, you guys will, you know, I know, love me nonetheless. So, dear ones, this talk is about the heart of our Father. This great Father of light in whom there is no shadow or turning and about our identity before him. For there is no more significant and joyous reality than who he is and who you are. In fact, the name of this talk is The Father's Heart and Our New Name and How We Are Known in Heaven. And as with everything in our lives, is it not true? We are so indebted to all who have gone before. I want to give a particular shout out to the entire Ransomed Heart team. Mm -hmm. To my friend Becky, who is a polished arrow in the quiver of our God. To my friend Lindsay, brave-hearted beauty. And to my friend Amy, wide open, spacious sky. And I dedicate this talk to my Father in Heaven. Thank you, God. So the reason why this talk is so meaningful to me is because truly the truth of Father's love for me and the revelation, day by day, month by month, season by season, particularly over the last couple years, has actually been that which has saved my life. And I referenced on the first night that infection of self-contempt that was almost lethal, and uh, some stormy clouds of depression that have made their way across my life over decades. And Father has saved my life. So this is an amazing, amazing, amazing opportunity for me to share with you that saving. Jesus said in John 17, he said, Now this is everlasting life. This is life to the absolute full, active, vigorous, vibrant vitality of life. The spring of well within you is that you might know God, the Father, and know Jesus whom he has sent. That word know, friends, is in the Greek, it's gnosko. I don't, I'm not fluent in Greek, I'm not sure that's totally how you pronounce it, but something like that. 
But what it means has changed my life. It means intimate heart knowledge. It means a knowing. It would be as if the, the difference between knowing the fact, by f- in, one who knows in fact that the Pacific Ocean exists, versus one who has spent her life snorkeling the shallows of Hawaii and diving on the Great Barrier Reef. There could be no more greater difference between two realities than to know as a fact that Father loves me versus to know experientially in my belly in an interactive way that God loves me. And so Jesus says, this is the source of your life, is to know Father intimately, have heart knowledge of him, have revelation of who he is, and to know me, the one whom he has sent. So this is what we're after today, is gnosko. We're after intimate heart knowledge, and, and truly that depends on the Holy Spirit bringing revelation to our hearts. So, I am super excited about that, and I'm going to flip through some notes here. I want to start um, with a clip, and basically the first, first thing I want to do in this talk, the first movement is awakening desire. And friends, I want to recognize that to begin to talk about the Father... Oh, we come at this from so many different places. As I was preparing for this, I felt like Father said, Sherry, they each need to know that I see him. So he said, Sherry, there are gals, there are my daughters in this room whose fathers have actually partnered actively with evil to destroy their lives. Your true father says that he sees you right here and he is coming for you. There are those of you who have dads who gave their hearts and strength away to someone or something else, whether it was work or alcohol or an affair or cowardice or anger or rage or maybe another sibling who is the favorite one. Your true father says he sees you and he is coming for you. There are those of you whose dads were what we would call good men, but they were simply naive And in fact, it's not simply naive. They were devastatingly naive in terms of how to love your heart and the way that your heart needed to be loved, to have your your question answered in a satisfying way that could lend you the capacity to walk through this life with a whole heart. Father's coming for you. And then there are those of you who might, um, your story, a few of you, you might have had the best dad around. Father wants to let you know that he's coming for you too. So he's coming for each one of you. In regards to what I would call our position of sort of how we approach, if we we picture belovedness or a place of uh, having a revelation of belovedness, of God's love for us as a table, as a feast, I feel like Father said there's sort of three ways that we come at this. The first is, those of us who are on the ground underneath the table, and we are picking up crumbs that come off the table, and we are trying desperately to make it enough to feed us and to satisfy us. And there are those of us who are sort of lifting our faces. We can see the feast spread out. We we know there's a feast to be had, but we're not sure it's for us. And we have a deep question. Is that table of belovedness set for me? And then there are those who, by revelation, not by trying, but because they've seen something about God and who they are, who have been granted the capacity to sit at the table. And my hope tonight is that we will all, by faith, receive the capacity to come and sit down at the table and believe that it's for us. So just take a moment and maybe observe, where are you And sometimes I'm doing like a little bit of both throughout the day. I'm like gathering crumbs, I'm looking at the table, maybe I'll even sit down for a moment, and I go through all of those motions. So what does it mean to be the beloved? Let's open up with a clip from Little Princess. (laughs) So Little Princess is the story of a young girl named Sarah Crew. It is set um, right before World War I, or in fact in the midst of World War I, Sarah and her father 
at the beginning of the movie live in India. We learn later that Sarah's mother died in childbirth, giving birth to Sarah's sister. Both mother and baby died. So Sarah and her father have this extraordinarily intimate relationship. And the purpose of this clip is I just want, I'm asking God to awaken desire, awaken desire in us, remind us of the desire we have for a good dad. Let's watch. Where do you go watching that clip? There were years for me when watching that clip was actually extremely painful And it hit such a bitter place inside of me, such a place of desire unmet, desire unfulfilled. Where does your heart go? Did you notice? He says, what are you doing? Are you trying to mesmerize me by heart? And she says, oh, no, I already know you by heart. They have that gnosko that intimate heart knowledge she does of her daddy's heart and he of her. Did you notice how he gave a gift for her? Like he knew her so well. He knew that Emily, like he, he came, she came from France. Like he went to great lengths to give her a gift specific to her heart. Did you notice their playfulness when they were dancing on the boat and when her dad sort of with his eyes are bright and he's playfully engaging her question about her mom? Oh. You guys, George MacDonald says this. He said, it would have been better not to know you at all than to have learned you wrong of the Father's heart. He says, it would have been better to not know you at all than to have learned you wrong. Friends, I dare say that we have each, whether in wide, wasting ways or in nuances, we have learned the Father wrong. And we desperately, desperately need to see him how he is. And in this clip, I felt like he wanted to point out his playfulness to you, to me. He wants you to know how happy he is to be your dad. In Ephesians 1, we have this. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has embraced us, and bestowed upon us in the heavenly realms with every capacity to know his love and to love him in return, to love who he has made us and to love others with that love. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be whole and holy, blameless, lacking nothing in his eyes. According to the delight of his heart, he destined us for adoption to sonship, the highest place of belovedness and esteem in accordance with his pleasure and intention. In the original language of that passage, there's so much about God's pleasure, about his delight. Those words for like his will, it's the thing he loves to do. The thing he loves to do. The thing he loves to do is to have you for his daughter. The word adoption in that, like really for years, kind of tripped me up. And I realized it really triggered my orphan, my inner orphan, with this question of, was there ever a moment, God, when I didn't belong to you? Was there a moment when your heart was not toward me, when I wasn't yours? I just, ah, I've needed some revelation around the word adoption. And God gave me this. This is another quote from George MacDonald, and he says this. He says, the word adoption used by St. Paul does not imply that God adopts children that are not his own but rather that a second time he fathers his own, that a second time they are born, this time from above, that he will make himself tenfold, yea, infinitely their father. What does sonship mean to you as a woman? What have you done with that word? For some of us, that hits in a painful place. Maybe the message to you is, if I had just been a boy... Maybe my dad would love me. If I had just been a boy, maybe I could have captured his heart. I felt like God was fierce over this when I was preparing for this. He wanted you to know that he sees that pain in your heart and that place in your story where that message came. He made you female and a daughter on purpose 
because your essence is feminine and he cherishes having you as a daughter. There is no favoritism of race or gender or ethnicity in the kingdom of God. And so I said, Father, give me another word for this just for the purpose of of tonight so we can come. Give me another access point. He said, Sherry, I want you to call it for tonight a spirit of belovedness. God gave us a spirit of belovedness by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The definition of the beloved is she who is highly esteemed, dear, favorite, worthy of love. Another way to say it is the one Father loves. As Stacy reminded us, Jesus needed to hear from Father that he was the beloved son. He needed this. And how much more do we Friends, what have we done with this desire? Where have we cursed it? Where have we mocked it and hated it? Where have we called it insecurity and named it despicable? Father made us to need this affirmation. It is as essential to our well-being on a cellular level as all the water we have been drinking this weekend. How much water do we need to drink a day for optimal health? I've heard there's like some, you can figure that out. Thank you. Lots and lots and lots. Do we despise in ourselves our need for water? Do we despise and apologize for our need for water? No, we do not. No more shall we despise our need for the living water of our Father's affirmation. Over and over and over and over again. Jesus was completely whole without sin or stain. And dear ones, his inner being was completely connected with Father. His biochemistry, his inmost thoughts, there was no place in him where he had a misconception of who Father was. And in fact, I I truly believe that it is from this place of seeing Father perfectly. There was no place he had to unlearn Father. that He could walk out what he needed to do on this earth. He led what Stacy calls an identity-driven life. And it is our invitation as well to live this identity-driven life. There's one more thing I wanted to say on the clip with Sarah and her father. Again, God said, Sherry, there are some of my girls in this room who are going to see this clip and say, well, of course Sarah was the beloved of her father. She's so beautiful. Any father would be proud to have her as his daughter. And darlings, he wants you to know that he sees the pain of that thought. That thought is so painful, and I know it so well. If only I had just been more beautiful, funnier, less intense, more lighthearted, less me, more like my sister, maybe then, maybe then I could have been the beloved. He wants you to know that there is no cinematography on the earth that could begin to capture how beautiful and delightful you are to him. Even when you were at your most awkward stage, even when you felt most unlovely, you were breathtakingly adorable to him. Keep your heart open, dear one. You are loved, and God could not be more proud to be your true father. So we have this picture with Sarah and her dad, this intimacy, this iconic father-daughter relationship. When I was little, I had a friend, her name actually was Sarah, and Sarah, I believe in the the Hebrew, it actually does mean princess, and her dad called her princess, and it like, oh, oh, it like hurt and beckoned and hurt and beckoned, oh, and in fact, I eventually kind of grew this disdain for like the whole princess thing, and I think it was um, very self-protective of me. If I could sort of kill that desire and distance myself from it, it was much less painful than having to sort of sit in that place of longing to be the apple of my papa's eye. I was the second of two daughters, the middle child of a little brother, and I can really see how my enemy set up this dynamic between my sister and me and my dad and how he capitalized on my dad's... um, dear heart, but naivete, and his refusal to um, investigate or learn what it it was that maybe a daughter's heart needed. 
My sister is very much like my father in temperament, and I'm very different. And the way that that was interpreted to me over years and moments, more moments than I can count, was that there was something deeply and profoundly wrong with me. And I desperately wanted to be someone else. So, back to our father. We have this position as the beloved. In fact, we have the same proximity to the father that Jesus had. It says in Ephesians 2 that we are raised with Jesus to the right hand of the father. We are actually seated as proximate to father as Jesus is. (sighs) That's amazing. Jesus introduces this new way of living, this intimate conversation, this oneness with God, this oneness with Father, where our lives are not merely connected, but actually embedded in the very life of God. And this, this fruit of living in belovedness and identity causes streams of living water to flow out of us in every direction. Alas, it's not most of our stories. It's not living the life of the beloved daughter or experiencing it that way. You know all too well the impact of the fall on you and your life. Stacy did a stunningly beautiful job with her Father and Jesus and Holy Spirit leading us through a pass at our wounds. So I want to look at the second princess, excuse me, a second clip from the little princess. And look at this where she enters into an experience of utter fatherlessness and abandonment. Watch with me. Don't you see what I'm saying? You are alone in the world. You are alone in the world without anyone or any resources or anyone's strength committed to you. You are alone in the world. Friends, whether it was through the actual death of your father, whether the abandonment came through his addictions or his cluelessness as to how to love your heart, however the abandonment came to you, I know because I know my story that you have experienced fatherlessness and abandonment. And it, it, it changes everything. It changes everything. When we go from a place of belovedness to a place of abandonment and orphanhood, it changes everything. And whether you were, had a taste of being the beloved and something happened in your life or your family's life that turned the table, or whether you never for a moment even had a glimmer of that, you know abandonment. So abandonment had such an impact on me, and I know it has on you. For me, shame, self-hatred, and a desperate longing to be someone else. It has been said that how we see ourselves and how we see God is the most informative aspect of the human person. Jesus teaches us the eye is the lamp of the body. How we see is fundamental. He says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If you can see God for who he is, if you can see who you are, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are not well, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how deep that darkness. And friends, that darkness was so deep in me. The message of the fall is that you are alone. You are alone. There's no one who knows you and no one who cares. And haven't there been more times in your life than you can even count when this feels so true? And is it not heightened when it takes another twist and it becomes, there's something wrong with me that resulted in me being abandoned. I am alone because I am rejected and rejectable. I am alone because I am unlovely and unlovable. I'm alone because I'm too much and not enough. When the message of our wound compounds on top of our wound and we determine that it is something deep within us that caused the abandonment, oh, friends, 
at least for me, the darkness became very dark. We watch in The Little Princess, so Miss Minchin exiles Sarah. Sarah is shifted from that room of belovedness that we saw in the beginning of the film up to an attic. We literally watch this transition as she goes up to this place where she is truly orphaned. Not only is she orphaned, she actually becomes enslaved to Miss Minchin. Miss Minchin allows her to stay, but under the conditions that she behave herself and that she work for her room and board. We then see Sarah spiraling in despair and loneliness, and we watch her make several deep agreements in that fatherless place that almost extinguish the life within her. There's a little girl named Becky who is actually truly an orphan in this movie. And she comes to Sarah and she says, Sarah, why don't you tell your stories anymore? Sarah would tell these stories from India. And and Sarah says, oh, Becky, they're not true. They were just make-believe. There is no magic. There is no love. There is no hope. There is no life. There is no father. That was all just make-believe, Becky. Becky says, there were times I thought I would die without, until I heard your stories. When we come into our place of fatherlessness, there is a barrenness there. The barrenness of our broken hearts severed from our identity and from our true father. Our fatherlessness is like a brutal drought that dries the stream of living water within us until it is less than a trickle. We really, really lose heart when we lose our place, our revelation of the Father. Our capacity to give real and true life to others is fundamentally related to what we believe about our Father in heaven, who he is and what he's like and what we believe about ourselves. Our beliefs And our capacity to give and receive love and life are absolutely connected. So, have you noticed this? As Stacy said, oftentimes God will actually press on our wound in order to have access to it. God has done this for me again and again with this place of fatherlessness. When I first came to Christ, I really came like, oh, it was a revelation of Jesus. Revelation of Jesus, and I was so moved I was so moved and my heart was so captured. But I didn't realize how little revelation I had of the Father until God allowed an extremely painful season in my life. In 2008, I was not well. I was not well. In fact, there was um, a vicious depression and anger turned inward, and I was spiraling, like really spiraling. And it was so painful, friends, because I'd walked in this message for years I had like gone to more captivating than I can even tell you. I had received so much healing. I had broken so many agreements. I had like, oh, given my heart to God in so many ways. But if you can picture our identity, our, our, our being like the globe, it is possible to have like continents that know the love of God, North America, South America. They were convinced within me of love, of God's love. But on the other side of the globe, Asia, Australia, (laughs) Africa, these places had no revelation of God, and God knew he needed access, and he allowed a a season of tremendous pain for me, and tremendous, tremendous pain. And he allowed my fatherless places to surface, and he's come for me, and he's giving me, like I said at the beginning, season by season, more revelation, and it's made all the difference. And it's one of those things where I can say, and I thought, I I will never say this about that season. I will never say this, that it was worth it. But it was worth it. It was worth it. I know. That's kind of amazing. So another way to come to our place of fatherless is what's not working. What's not working, maybe not in your outside, but on your inside. For me, the fruit of fatherlessness for me was incredible envy. I had so much envy for girls who were well-loved by their daddies. Oh, my gosh, I did. You wouldn't know it. I looked sweet, and you know, I wasn't like firing envy out in like overt ways, but it was inside me. It was seething envy, seething envy of women 
who had an um, intimate relationship with their dad. I, um, I think I could have been in the running for most insecure. <laughs> yeah, just an insecurity that it, it felt like it was everywhere in my body, like everywhere, insecurity. And from that place, like I, I couldn't have fun. Like I was so hypervigilant about what I said and what I did. And I like, I felt like more stiff than like a plastic doll at a party. Like how fun is a plastic doll at a party? <laughs> Not very fun. <laughs> so stiff. I was so insecure. And friends, I hated my insecurity. Like Stacy said, the self-hatred, it will never heal your wound. I couldn't hate myself into changing. It did not work. There's a little girl in my Abigail's second grade class, and she reminds me so much of myself. She is so precious. She is so awkward. Like her, her clothing is already always kind of like a little bit off, and like her hair is kind of like hangs in these strings. And I can see her now, and... I can be so endeared to her, but it wasn't until the last couple of years that I could actually look at pictures of myself as a little girl and not hate her. Like, I hated her. I hated her for being so awkward and being so, like, ugly. And, I mean, the amount of hatred I had for my little girl is, is tremendous. So, where do you feel fatherless and what's not working? What's not working for you on the inside? We have an amazing, amazing God, as you know. And as Lisa said, he actually puts our rescue into motion even before we know we're in trouble. Our next scene from The Little Princess is part of her rescue being sent in motion. You'll see her friends. They actually attempt a daring raid into enemy territory themselves. They go into Miss Minchin's office and they take back her locket, the locket that her daddy gave her on that boat that signifies her identity, her place as the beloved daughter. They recover it for her, and they bring it back. God will use others. He'll use others to help us recover our identity. He will use those who've been speaking from the stage. He'll use the woman sitting next to you. He'll use your friends. He'll use strangers. He will use everything, nature. He'll take everything and harness it in order to recover your identity for you. And he will use your very best friend, the Holy Spirit, who is passionate about your identity and will go to spare no length to recover it for you. So before I actually show this clip, I want to... uh, um, invite one of my dear, dear friends, someone who has contended for my identity valiantly and someone dearly loved by God, my friend Polly. I've asked her to share about um, experiences of fatherlessness, where God is servicing fatherlessness in her and how he's coming for her heart. Beautiful Polly. So when, can you guys hear me? There we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, Cher asked me to talk about how I've been fathered by her God. And I, I paused and I was like, hmm, like, I don't feel fathered. And actually, I don't even know what it feels like to be fathered to be truly fathered, fathered well. Um, do I want to be fathered? I, I struggled with all that. And so I, I went to the place of asking God, um, how have you fathered me? Where have you fathered me? And he brought me back to something one of my, my wise mentors has taught me, and that is surrender. In order to be fathered, I needed to surrender. And so I began thinking about recent stories and thoughts of where I've surrendered. And so the story that I want to tell you today was a a story in when I chose to surrender fear. Um, But before I can share that, I have to give you some background on fathering. Um, Growing up, my father was big, strong, and he was powerful, 
He was also angry, very angry. And my family was falling apart, but everyone pretended and played as if all was well. Deep in my gut, I knew something was wrong, and and my heart ached. But um, I couldn't trust him, and I couldn't trust the circumstances in our family. Um, So to go on and tell you about, I'm going to tell you about Sis. And Sis is a horse. And uh, one afternoon, um, oh, but more, more on family before I can tell you about Sis. So... Uh, my dad took me horseback riding as a as a young girl, and horses are big, horses are strong, horses are powerful, and I also assumed horses are angry, <laughs> and I was scared. I didn't feel safe. He tried to convince me it was great, I would have fun, it was okay, but again, I couldn't trust his words. I knew his words were not good. He got angry. And nothing actually bad happened on the ride, the horse ride. But during that time, my heart just ached. My heart ached to be heard, to be known, to be cared for, and to be loved. I had been missed by my father, and my fear had been dismissed. Um, and I've been afraid of horses ever since. I keep my distance. A few weeks ago... Uh, I went with my friends, Ryan and Sue, to spend some time on a ranch in southwestern Colorado. We have some f- sweet, sweet friends, Jim and Fern, who deeply love Jesus. Their hearts are just amazing. And they oversee the ranch and have three horses. Going into the trip, I was feeling pretty embarrassed by my anxiety with horses. Rylan loves horses. She spent hours, days, weeks, practically a lifetime with horses, and dreams of her own ranch someday. Sue had worked on a ranch. Then there was me, scared of horses. And uh, so walking into the weekend, I did hold deeply onto and closely onto the knowledge that Jim and Fern, whose hearts are so near to God, walk closely with him in everything they do. Everything is bathed in him. So as we drove to the ranch... I was enjoying the beauty of the mountains and the sky and the rock formations um, along the way. I felt some tension, but not the gut-wrenching fear, which I paused and, and was excited and amazed by. I knew that the Father was with me and that I could trust him every step of the way. I reminded myself of that as we got out of the car and got ready to head over to the horses. I rested in knowing I was covered. So as we walked into the pasture... Jim shared that Jesus had selected a horse, a specific horse, for each of us. So we stood in the pasture and chatted. Jim told us about the personalities of each of his horses. Sis was extremely tender and so aware and sensitive to what was around her and others around her. And they, they specifically work with rescue horses, which just felt dear to my heart, the ones that everyone has given up on. So Seven walked right over to Rye, Sis then walked over to me, and finally S'mores came over to Sue. And so I got to work with Sis. Our father had specifically selected her for me. And she came to me. She walked right over to me. Jim talks a lot about the closeness and connection of Jesus and horses, or more so our father and horses. And it's good to be reminded that horses sense exactly what we feel. Rather than my temptation to feel vulnerable and exposed, I wanted to rest in Father so Sis could know that I was at peace. So we led the horses out to the trailer, tied them up, learning all sorts of new knots, and uh, carefully groomed them, and then brushed out their mane and tail. And we used this crazy sharp tool to scrape out the dirt and rocks, but like next to their hoof, where their hoof and shoe meet. And um, I was so close to Sis, working in real awkward positions, kind of under her, kind of behind her, holding her hooves up. It, it was uh, challenging, to say the least. Um, and in my time with her, I chose to be present, observing her and choosing to offer myself, as well as opening my heart to Father in the time. I had worked slowly, slowly, 
just breathing it all in. I was a bit behind the other girls, and everyone went and as they finished up and sat down under a nearby tree on the green grass and rested under a cottonwood tree. But I stayed beside Sis. My heart just felt this tug to be with her. And I was shocked because typically I want to get as far away from a horse as I possibly can, and I wanted to stay by her side. I couldn't believe it was possible. I was just enjoying her presence. As I stood beside her, um, Jim walked over, and he gave me a huge, strong, tight, fatherly hug and told me that I'm a treasure, a precious, precious jewel. My internal response was, yep, yep, I know I'm special. (laughs) I tend to be really good at shrugging off words that others share, including what my father shares. The memory of that weekend is so dear to me, and last week, as it came to mind, I was reminded of how I was fathered that day and the words spoken, our father's words coming through a man. I smiled as I let myself soak in Papa's words. I couldn't have been fathered through Sis and Jim if I hadn't have chosen to surrender my fear that weekend. Thank you, Polly. Let's watch this clip about how Sarah recovers her identity. Father bestows identity. Father used that moment, used Jim to help recover Polly's identity as a treasure, as a jewel, a gem in the hand of her God. Watch this, how Sarah's identity is recovered, and watch what happens to her as she steps back into her place of belovedness. Watch what strength. And stature returns to her. There's so much in that clip. There is so much in that clip. Didn't your father ever tell you? Didn't he? Didn't he? All girls are princesses. No matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter how rejected you've been, how unchosen you've been, even if no human being has ever found you worthwhile or worthy of relationship, no matter if you live in an attic or a slum or a palace, all girls are princesses. Do you see how Miss Minchin comes and he attacks her, the figure of our enemy here, at the level of her identity Look at you. Look in the mirror. Look around you. Look at your circumstances. Who do you think you are? Don't you know? There's no larger story. There's no good father. There's no story where love is real. There's no valiant Jesus. Look at the evidence. And she, because she's recovered her identity, she can stand up. In truth. How does Father come? He comes by naming us. How does he come and draw us out of our fatherlessness? He comes and names us. In Isaiah 62, and in fact, it's all over the scripture, but for the sake of time, we're just going to look at this one. In Isaiah 62, the prophet says, Behold, God himself will give you a new name. Let me just read it to you here for a second. Do we have it, Alex? Isaiah 62. Did it come up? There you go. You'll be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You'll be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate. No longer will they call you rejected or rejectable, abandoned, unlovely, unlovable, but you'll be called Hepzibah, my delight is in her, and your land Beulah married. Which shows up, you guys, in Revelation 2 as well. Father says, my friend Becky says, our identity, our name before God, our new name is like discovering the state of Montana. There's so much to be explored here. 
And that's what we're after tonight, friends. As we draw this talk to a close, I want to tell you that you have names, more than one. Jesus had many, many names. He has so many names. Father has more than one name for you. He has names for you to uncover tonight and for the rest of your days on earth until you cross over or until he comes back. And I contend that you will continue to explore your identity with Father on the other side. We know at least that when Jesus returns, you each will be granted a white stone with a new name written on it known only between you and your God. So we want to send you on a treasure hunt tonight for your new name. And in fact, for your name this whole weekend and for the rest of your life, explore Explore your identity. Consider it as vast as whatever geography has ever captured your heart times 100. There's that much to explore. Father, over time, gave me one of my new names is Sunshine. Do you remember how I said the darkness was so dark inside of me? He said, you are my sunshine and my delight. And one of the ways, one of the like little treasure trails to our new name is through the things we love what do you love what do you love i love light i love the way angle and texture of light changes throughout the day throughout the seasons and how he called me sunshine is is another amazing story i know that many of you have are also named i believe sunshine I think I know some of your other names, and I want to speak them over, over you. <clears throat> some of you are named Lily. Some of you are named Rose. Some of you are named Princess. Some of you are named My Delight. Some of you are named My Favorite. Some of you are named Darling. Some of you are named Wild One. Some of you are named Brave. Some of you are named Snowflake. You have many names. I want to encourage you to go after them. All of you are named Sought After. All of you are named Beloved. All of you are named Beloved Daughter. And I want to share with you the last Um, this last scripture that has saved my life, and it's from John 17, 23. In John 17, 23, Jesus says what I believe to be one of the most astounding utterances ever on this earth. He says, in the same way that the Father loves me, so I, excuse me, so does he love you. That word agape Love, for me, for years, sort of felt kind of religious and sort of like this obligatory love. Like I could never... ah, Agape actually means to be fond of, to love dearly, to love fully with affection. And when you take that and when you dive into the nuance of agape and you take it back to that verse, it says, Father has the same affection for you, Linda. He's the same affection for you, Kate. He's the same affection for you, Jessica. He's the same affection for you, Leah. He's the same affection for you, Martha and Tammy, as he does for Jesus. He loves Jesus with absolute intensity and enthusiasm and delight and thrill. And he loves you with that same intensity, enthusiasm, delight, and thrill. I have put my name in there. I say, Father, thank you that you love me as much as you love Jesus. Therefore, I have nothing to fear. It has become my banner. And even tonight, friends... This afternoon, he raised within me this exposed to me how deep my fear of rejection goes. He like set something in motion weeks ago to collide with me today because there's more. There's more. He says, because I love you as much as I love Jesus, Sherry, you never have to fear rejection. In fact, he has purchased the right to never reject us ever. There is nothing we can do. Nothing, friends. Nothing you have done, nothing 
no abortion that you have had, no affair that you have had that's wrecked your marriage and wrecked your children, no mistake that you have made in your life that would deem you rejectable by Father. He says, I have purchased the right to never, ever have it called into question if they are rejectable. Ever. Ever. So I want to close with this last scene, and then I want to pray. You'll know that Father, he says, when Sarah's reunited with her father, you'll see him, the daddy says, Sarah. He says her name. And I'm asking this weekend that you would each hear God's name in a new, excuse me, God's name for you and names for you and how he calls you and what he calls you, that he would hear it afresh. I'm asking that you would hear it afresh. And I'm believing that you will. Watch this. Mm. Mm. Papa, don't ever leave me. Papa, don't ever leave me. This is not the deepest cry of our heart. Papa, Papa, spirit of belovedness, by which we cry out, Papa, Abba, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I want to pray. And before that, I just want to pull out one more thing from this clip. Did you see Becky? So Becky never, ever tasted it for a second. And friends, there are those of you in this room who never, literally ever have had a moment of delight by a father figure in your life. You are included. You are as included as she who is adorned seemingly from the beginning. And in fact, at the movie's close, Becky comes out dressed in white, just like Sarah. And they drive off together with Papa for all the adventures ahead. And so do we. We leave here, friends. There is no woman in here more loved than you are. There is no woman in here more chosen or more seen by God than you are. And you go with him tonight. You leave this place with him out to all the adventures that await you at the side of your God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you're stirring in my heart, God. I'm asking for more. Father, forgive me for my unbelief. I receive the blood of Jesus washing away all my unbelief. Heal my unbelief here, God. Thank you for what you already did in the wound session to heal wounds in my story that have distorted my understanding of who you are and who I am. Thank you for your mercy and compassion and knowing of me here, God. I know you are so full of compassion for me right here, God. You understand every facet of my story that has contributed to me feeling so desolate and so alone and so unchosen and so abandoned. And God, you know and you, you are moved to your center, to your core with love for me. More, God, go deep into my story now and dispel, level all the messages in my life that have set themselves up against my intimate knowing of your heart and your love, of my knowing who you are and who I am to you, God. More, God, more healing, more wholeness, more. Father, empower me now to break agreements with the messages that have come. I break agreements with abandonment and fatherlessness. Father, I break the agreement that you don't love me, that you won't come for me, that you hate me, that I am repulsive to you, that my desperate need for your affirmation is contemptible, that it's too late, that I am on my own, that this place of beloved is not for me, that I'm the exception. This might be for the other women, but this is not for me. That I won't ever have intimate heart knowledge of you. That I won't even ever know how to live as your beloved daughter. 
that I'm on my own and that it is up to me to secure love, that I'm not worth your love and care, that I'm rejected and rejectable by you. God, I break every agreement that I have made that comes against my intimate knowing of who you are and who I am. Father, I agree with the truth that you love me as much as you love Jesus. Therefore, I have nothing to fear. I agree with the truth, God, that you are passionate, that your scripture would contain that because you knew it was the key to the deepest fears of my heart. I agree with your truth that I am your beloved daughter, that I have been given a spirit of belovedness, that I have been seated with Jesus at your right hand and that I have the same proximity to you and favor with you as Jesus has. I have the same favor favor with you, Father, as my Jesus has with you. God, allow that truth to penetrate into every cell. Father, where rejection is harbored in my body, in my organs, in my brain chemistry, in the cells of my body, right now, God, I ask that it would be replaced with revelation that you love me as much as you love Jesus and that I have the same place of esteem and favor in your heart as Jesus does. Father, I receive the truth that you love who you made me to be. You made my face, my body, my gifting, my preferences, and my temperament on purpose. I receive your affection for me in all that I am and all that I am not. I now ask for an increased measure of the spirit of sonship, the spirit of belovedness. More God, more. Yes. God, who am I to you? Father, I receive the truth that this transcends even the, like it's it's greater in scope than the state of Montana, who I am to you. And I ask that you would take me on a great adventure, that you would explore with me my identity before you. And God, I'm asking that you would speak my name to me. What are my new names to you, God? I'm asking. I'm asking for a new name. I'm asking for ears to hear. God, open the ears of my heart to hear you. What do you call me, God? What is my name to you? What is my name to you? I receive you as my true father. I receive your acceptance of me. I receive the truth that you are a good, good dad that you are the good dad that I've been looking for my whole life. And I'm asking you, God, to be my father, to be my dad in every way possible, in every way that a woman can have a father, in every way that a little girl can be fathered, and in every way, God, every way that you would be my dad in every way. God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I just wanted to put this up for you guys, these two truths that have become part of my daily prayer life. And it is, Father, thank you that you love me as much as you love Jesus. Therefore, I have nothing to fear. It's from John 17, 23. Highly recommend the whole chapter of John 17, one of my favorites. And then secondly is, God, I ask you to father me today. I ask him every day, God, father me. And lately I've been asking him, would you say my name to me afresh? We're going to move into a time of communion. You guys have been so patient, sitting, listening, engaging. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, here are those names that I was... For another time. What great love that God has lavished on us, that we would be called his daughters. So as we come to this time of communion, my hope is that each of us will come differently to this table, to this feast set before us. We have this daddy who, in Psalm 91, it says he rescues us and he throws us a party. This God who rescued us and then threw us a feast. And to this Jesus who said, I am determined that you would know how much Father loves you. I am determined and I will shed my blood that you might know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are loved. We come to the table.
I'm asking tonight that, Father, that you would make a way for us to come in a new way, that we would take our place at the feast, that we would believe, God, that there is a place set just for us with my name on it. Friends, we'll have communion offered up here. If you'd prefer, we'll also have communion to go in the back. You can go and spend time with your God. I urge you to ask him. Continue to ask him. Do not give up. Ask him for your name. Ask him and ask him and ask him again. And I want to leave you with a few questions. These might be again for a month from now or a year from now or for tomorrow. What would you love to hear your father say about what he sees in you and what you mean to him? And ask your true father, who am I to you? And what new names do you have for me? If you enjoyed this and would like more podcasts and blogs and other resources to take this decade of excavation and go deeper, join us at becomegoodsoil.com.